Hello, everybody, and welcome to What Am I Missing, the podcast where I attempt to fill in the gaps of my knowledge through conversations with friends. I'm your host, Brett Walden, and today I'm talking to Megan Maroney about Twin Peaks. Here in Orlando, Megan is predominantly known for her acting prowess and as being a very skilled cosplayer, but I wanted to move past all of that and get into her fandom. I think it's safe to say that Megan is a super fan of pop culture, and she's very capable of not only discussing why she loves what she loves, but she does it in a way that makes you want to love the same things just as much. And the conversation that follows is a great example of this. Uh, Please rate and review the show on iTunes, and if you have any fun facts or anecdotes about anything we've discussed in a previous show, or if you want to just roast me in the comments, type them up. I'll read the funniest or most interesting ones out loud on a future episode, but only if you give me five stars. As always, there's a sneak preview of episode five coming out next Monday at the very end of this show, but enough preamble. Let's have some coffee and cherry pie with Megan Maroney. Take it away, Anthony. Let's get started then. Oh, I, I would love that. Plan. Okay. We'll get um, Well, hello everybody. Welcome. I'm sitting here in the studio with a good friend of mine. Very excited about this conversation. Her name is Megan Maroney. Why, hello everyone. Hello. And um, you are here to talk about Twin Peaks today. Uh, you might have a hard time shutting me up about Twin Peaks today. That's great. That's great. Because <laughs> um, I have a lot of questions. Um, this is this is one of those topics that I am aware of as far as the like the zeitgeist sure sure (laughs) um sort of tangentially aware of um but but don't really know anything specific about it except for honestly what the simpsons have sort of parodied about Uh, it that is a great episode of the simpsons so that that's got a lot more going on uh that and the saturday night live skit from when kyle mclaughlin hosted a lot of people remember that skit as well i don't know if i've seen that all right well we'll talk about it later then (laughs) (laughs) put it on the docket um so yeah so i know it's um i know it's a tv show winner yes i know it's got sort of a reputation is now now tell me if this is fair or unfair it's it's for somebody who's never seen it before but has heard about it, mm-hmm. I think the the easiest word that would sum the show up is is just weird. That is that is both fair and unfair because okay. it is probably the best single adjective to apply to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but to uh, presume that there's nothing more under the surface than that, right. or that it was weird for weird's sake. And to be fair, there was a point when the show did become weird for weird's sake. Mm -hmm. And I'll explain that comment a little later. Um, But just because it was weird didn't mean it only wanted shock value. There was a lot of layers as to why the weird. And then sometimes there was a fish in the percolator, (laughs) which will make no sense to anyone if they haven't seen Twin Peaks. Right. (laughs) But yeah. Um, Cool. So um, the... Yeah, so like I said, The Simpsons, um, I always remember, like, I think Lisa has a has a vision or something, and there's like right. a backwards-talking man or something. Correct. And, okay, see, that's the extent of it. Yeah, all, all of which are applicable to, to Twin Peaks itself. Yeah, they um, were clearly, f- the, the writers at that time were clearly fans of the show, because there was a lot of stuff, I feel, sprinkled throughout right. various Simpsons episodes that, um, that I 
didn't necessarily pick up on, except that I had a book that right. explained all the references for those sure. early seasons. And so when in reading that, it would say like, this is a reference to Twin Peaks. And I'd be like, oh, okay. Uh, it, it It's going to sound like hyperbole, but the thumbprint of Twin Peaks on television as we know it mm-hmm. cannot be overemphasized. Sure. It, it people People talk about how Twin Peaks changed television and it quite literally did um it came out of uh, i mean it it aired in 1990 first i think in april um of 1990 and prior to that you had uh, a lot of compartmentalized crime dramas you had simon and simon and you had magnum pi and uh, you know a team and things that i loved but they were like here's your backstory and now here's the story of the week. And once in a while, we'll mention that Magnum is a Vietnam vet, but eh, it's not going to come up too often. Right. Here's the dogs in the Ferrari. Um, <laughs> but with uh, the flip side of that is that you also had the rise of all of the television soap operas. You had uh, Dynasty and you had Dallas, Dallas first, then Dynasty. Um, I think Knott's Landing had happened at that point. So you did have... Uh, nighttime soaps and of course daytime soaps that were crazy popular in the 80s so people did like stories that continued Mm -hmm. with their favorite characters but no one had really taken a crime drama that wasn't compartmentalized that ultimately wasn't even really about the crime with characters that things happened week after week and there was a central mystery and it was and and then to put David Lynch on top of it, yeah. which goes back to weird, you have you have this style of storytelling that has never been seen outside of an art house mm-hmm. all of a sudden on network television before the influx of major cable television. Yeah. Um, you know, now we have Netflix and now we have Showtime and HBO and we get all of this. But this was on ABC. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this was on one of the big three. Well, and it's so wild to think that that that, that really hadn't happened before. Mm-mm. Where, I mean, today it's just like, that's every other series that you watch is some sort of like extended mm-hmm. drama with a with a mystery that, that, that goes past, you know, right. that lasts throughout the season or, you know, that, that it's just like that's so standard now. It is. Uh, there... It's really weird. One of the things, and I I realize I haven't given any examples, but one of the things that is fantastic about Twin Peaks, especially on a rewatch, which I did leading up to the uh, 2017 Showtime, Mm -hmm. um, the third season, as it were, but it's almost its own standalone. And I will probably talk way more about previous Twin Peaks than that one, because uh, while it applies and while it wraps up a few loose ends... That is is different in the sense that somebody finally drove up to David Lynch with a dump truck full of money and said, you make whatever you want to make, man, and we're keeping it hands off. Whereas one of the interesting things about the original Twin Peaks is that's how it started. But then ABC was like, no, man, we're going to tell you how to do your TV show. Mm. And that's what caused some of the weird for weird sake. And Oh, really? Absolutely. Because... Um, uh, let me back this up a little bit. Uh, David Lynch and Mark Frost, 
uh, David Lynch, of course, well known for Blue Velvet and um, is it Lonesome Highway? Uh, sorry, I'm forgetting all of the names of his films right now. That's all right. Uh, and Mark Frost, who is a fantastic television writer. He has also written some fantastic uh, Arthur Conan Doyle themed fiction, which mm. if you just... Just Google Mark Frost. He's fantastic. <laughs> uh, the two of them decided that they wanted to create a, a movie or something. And it was all very nebulous and they hadn't really formed what they wanted to do. But they knew that they kind of wanted it to be about a damsel in distress. Mm-hmm. Okay. Very trite. Um, when, uh, when the writer's strike happened in 80-something-something... Something, they were approached by ABC, and they were like, can you make us something, like, when we come back? And they were like, sure. So they just kept sort of snowballing into what this was going to be, and they decided that it was going to be this odd town. They decided that it was going to be about the death of a, a teenage beauty queen uh, in this town. Uh, the, the town was weird, so there's that appropriate word again, mm-hmm. uh, and that they were never going to solve the murder. Oh. That was the whole thing. That was the original that conceit. That was the original conceit was that the murder would get everybody hooked watching it, but that they would never solve the murder because it was secondary to everybody else's lives in this town. Oh, wow. So it would be it would be like broad church, only we'd never figure out who killed Danny. Right. Um, oh, I couldn't imagine that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so imagine all those cliffhangers like from Broadchurch, but they would never go anywhere. Yeah. Understandably, both Mark Frost and David Lynch were like, nobody's going to go for this. We'll get like seven episodes. We're out. It became the biggest water cooler uh, show of its of its time. Mm. Uh, more than Who Shot JR, it, they aired the, the first two-hour uh, the, the two pilot, which also, here's another tangent. Um, the two-hour pilot that was commissioned by ABC, uh, that was approved by ABC, also had French investors in it. Mm-hmm. And so ABC and Lynch and Frost and uh, this or- original French company that I cannot remember the name of because it's morphed and this will become important uh, later, they wanted a two-hour film to replete, to uh, release in Europe. ABC wanted a pilot that didn't have an ending. Oh. But everybody was putting their money into it. Right. So when they filmed the pilot, they filmed it with a 15-minute ending that could be released in Europe mm-hmm. as a complete two-hour movie. Oh, wow. That sums up the Who Killed Laura Palmer, but isn't the answer as to who killed Laura Palmer that actually happens in the series. Oh, wow. So for quite a while, you could not buy the original ABC pilot because it was owned by the French company. So all of a sudden, when uh, uh, videos come out, Mm -hmm. nobody can get the original ABC pilot that aired. You can only get the French movie that has the tacked on ending. So people would literally watch it up to the point of where it had ended uh, on ABC. Yeah. And then they could pick up the rest of the series in their box set. But the pilot could not be sold 
in any boxed set that you purchased for years. So would you have to go to like a, a European or like a French distributor? Or well, like they a- realized there was a market, so they would release it with the ability to play in a in a US VCR, mm-hmm. but it was their Twin Peaks movie and it had the tacked on ending to it. Oh, wow. And you couldn't release the pilot because they technically owned it. Right. So for years, nobody could have the exact recreation of what everybody watched in April of, you know, 90. Right. Where they were like, what the hell is happening <laughs> in this show? Yeah. Um, well, and, and pretty much you had to be, I mean, if you were collecting the show on like VHS, then you, you had to you had to be pretty committed in order to do the whole thing. Like, cause you, Absolutely. it sounds like you had to search for that. You had to search for it. The box set, uh, the first one they released was hideous and bad uh, quality. I know cause I owned it and I was so happy to sell those uh, because I could, because people still wanted them. Yeah. Um, it was uh, dark. The sound wasn't good. There wasn't good clarity to it. They were not good VHS. Uh, I got so excited because they released it on DVD. DVD. You still couldn't get the, um, the true pilot. Uh, but I got rid of all my VHS and I got the, the new set on DVD. And when they finally got permission, like a couple of years ago to do a, a full set and they finally worked out a deal where you could get the original pilot episode. Mm-hmm. It was the first time I had seen it since, since it aired since 90. Oh, yeah. Wow. yeah. So have you seen both versions and have you seen the tactile yes. ending? Uh, yes. Um, I, I don't know how much to dance around spoilers, uh, but as as we mentioned, it's it's been thirty years. Yeah. Uh, in the <laughs> movie, um, and in the TV show, there is a character named uh, Bob, and we can talk a little bit about Bob's evolution. And that is all caps: Bob, Killer Bob, um, and his compatriot, Mike, who is a one-armed man, who was a one-armed man as a nod to the fugitive. It was just an in-joke that they were like, we're going to have a one-armed man that oh, everybody's wow. searching for. That's hilarious. Um, so the, in the European film, the one-armed man and Bob are not supernatural beings, which they are in the TV series. Uh, they are actually just serial killers who go around and things got a little out of hand and Bob killed Laura Palmer and uh, Mike, the one-armed man, was like, hey, he killed Laura Palmer. And they're like, hooray, we've solved it. It's <laughs> it's so it just, anticlimactic. Yeah. Um, but it's David Lynch, so it's beautifully shot and there's these evocative moods and I'm sure it went gangbusters in Europe, but it's really not a really good narrative. Right. <laughs> well, if your intent is to is to is to tell the story over the course of a season, or to never <laughs> to never reveal it, and then all right. of a sudden somebody says you have to wrap this up in fifteen it's, minutes, it's literally like a post-it note at the end. <laughs> yeah. It's like it's, and Pucci went back to his home planet. Right. That's literally how it's. But they kept it was the same the same character, the same character. Everything led up exactly to a particular point, and then all of a sudden they were like. I know the convenience store they live at. And then it was... Well, that's convenient. It was indeed. <laughs> so. so did you see... Do you remember seeing the pilot like... I do. The night it aired? I did see it the night that it aired. Um, we we did have the ability to record television, but almost no one did it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but I watched it uh, just because we knew it was going to be a crime drama. 
And by we, I mean my mom and myself, and I don't think my dad watched it, but my mom and I were like, this is great. Mm -hmm. Um, So we sat down to watch it. And like I said, it is David Lynch, so it's gorgeously shot. And he is in charge. He's all hands-on for the pilot episode. It is is his direction. It is his choice of shots, uh, all him. Um, And... It, it literally starts with uh, uh, Pete and Catherine sniping at each other a little bit. They are a married couple. He's a former lumberjack, and she's the rich girl in town, except that now they're middle-aged and older and have been married and hate each other, except he still loves her. Whatever. Um, <laughs> it, like I said, there's a lot of soap opera elements. I love it. Pete goes out to go fishing and finds uh, the body of Laura Palmer, mm-hmm. um, who is played by Cheryl, Cheryl Lee. Um, side note to that, she was a local actress in Washington. They were like, we need somebody to play the dead girl. So just get us, she doesn't have to speak. She just has to lay there. So this, uh, poor girl who is a solid actress, uh, was hired to come be nude, wrapped in a plastic tarp and lay on a beach, a rocky beach in Washington state while they filmed around her. Wow. And... She ended up being so zen about it, and they needed her for one flashback. Uh, They find a videotape of her at a picnic with her best friend, Mm -hmm. and she ended up impressing David Lynch so much just from doing that vignette and her demeanor on on the rocky beach where she was just like, I got to be dead for the next seven hours. (laughs) Right. he was like, we're going to write her back in. And then brought her back a few episodes later as her identical cousin, which was a nod to the Patty Duke show. Sure, I was just about to say. <laughs> so that was literally it. Wow. Um, That's awesome. So, but uh, Pete finds her body, contacts the local sheriff, and... Uh, that's when you meet, uh, Harry, Harry S. Truman, named after the president, mm-hmm. um, as the local sheriff. Uh, you meet, uh, Deputy Andy, who is, uh, a buffoon of a character. Like, he's taking the pictures of the body and just bursts into tears. He can't do it. But already you're sort of spiraling out from what you're used to. Mm. Because the sheriff is admittedly like, I'm out of my league. Uh, the deputy is is showing that this is a, a small enough town that nobody sees anything like this. Right. And he's heartbroken, um, which is also, you know, it's turning away from this narrative of what you're used to with these hard-boiled people. Right, right, right. Um, and then you get Dale Cooper, who is deservedly one of the most iconic characters that has ever been written or created. And that has to do... So much with Kyle McLaughlin's performance. Uh, David Lynch had just used him on Blue Velvet, Mm -hmm. and that's why he pulled him in. Um, And they wanted this this true 1950s look G-Man, which is why he has like the slicked back helmet hair, and he's in this very tailored black suit with a narrow tie. But even that is going to be turned on its ear. One of my favorite things, and I think one of the things that dragged me into the show right away was in in most tv cop shows the uh fbi man comes in and the sheriff is like this is my town and you're not taking over my case right and literally the first time they meet dale cooper goes look i know a lot of sheriffs have problems with this but i am the fbi this is my case i'm i'm going to be in charge here and harry is like 
absolutely you're going to be in charge here. What do you need? How can I help? Yeah. And they are immediately friends. Mm. And it's fantastic that they are immediately drawn to each other, that they're going to be like, we are here to solve this. Our egos don't matter. Right. And I'd never seen anything like that on television where they weren't like, now there's going to be posturing and these guys are going to prove who's the strongest. Right. Well, because that almost becomes a, uh, I don't want to say, a f- it's it's like a false, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's a... Uh, you know, it's like that that false opposition where yes. it's just like it's false drama. You know, where it's just like they don't like each other. Isn't that dramatic? But somebody's going to do something that they're going to respect, <laughs> right? And it's like, no, they're literally like there is a sixteen year old girl who's dead. Can we please fix this? Right, right. Um, so, so that was fantastic. Um, and uh, in a weird way, and this is uh, perhaps a little too personal, but. One of the reasons I liked it is actually something that a lot of people make fun of. I'm using air quotes. Um, in that Leland and Sarah Palmer are the parents of Laura Palmer, who is wrapped in plastic and dead. Mm-hmm. Um, in the chain of events, and this is even before uh, Cooper shows up, because you don't see him for a good 15, 30 minutes of the pilot episode. He's he's not there yet. Yeah. Um, and... They find out that their daughter is dead. Uh, Leland is on the phone to Sarah, and and again, no cell phones at this point. Um, they're they're on a landline and they're trying to figure out where she is because nobody's heard from her and she didn't sleep in her bed last night. And there's this shot of of Harry, the the sheriff, uh, coming in to Leland's place of business. And as soon as he sees him, he knows. And he just starts saying, my, my daughter's dead. And he and he has dropped the phone at this point. So mm-hmm. his wife, who's on the phone, hasn't heard that. But then she knows, just, you know, cosmically. <laughs> and she starts just screaming. Mm. And the actress who plays her has has talked about when when they did the first uh the first airing people laughed and she felt really awful about her choice and david lynch was like no people will laugh when they're uncomfortable yeah you did okay the reason i say that it hooked me and why it is perhaps too personal is um my brother died in a motorcycle accident not too many years prior to twin peaks airing yeah and that is exactly what my parents did really? when they found out. My Oof. father just kind of shut down, and my mom just keened yeah. in in the traditional Irish sense. So to me, that was one of the most real things yeah. I had ever seen on television, even though a lot of people think it's heightened and camp. And I'm like, no, that that's what happens. That's legit. That is legit what happens. Yeah. Um, wow. And so that really resonated where I was like, this is odd. And this so you is, recognize it at the time. At the time, the I was like, watch, there's, a, just like, there's is... a lot more going on under the surface, which is actually what Twin Peaks is about, is all the stuff that's under the surface. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Well, it sounds like already it's about, it's just, it, it, it really is, I mean, it's a story about 
this murder mystery, but it's about mm-hmm. it's about the the humans involved. Exactly, and even though every human in this town is weird, the deputy cries. The sheriff is named after uh, president. Um, there is uh, drugs being run in and out of the uh, Meals on Wheels program, and there's a casino that's a brothel that's owned by the richest man in town. Yeah, there's all these heightened. Uh, there's all these tropes, but when you peel them away, none of them are stereotypes. Yeah. Um, the richest man in town, his daughter Audrey, is the bad girl. Except as it goes on, you find out that she is, uh, no matter how bad girl she looks, um, she is still a virgin. She is one of the pure people in town she's got an incredibly quick wit Mm -hmm. she's so much smarter and she's acting out because she comes from a nightmare of a home and not because she's this is the girl that you're gonna love to hate it's like no this girl is fantastic right and you're going to love her. And that was Cheryl and Fenn, and everyone did love her, which is why rumor has it Laura Flynn Boyle got very angry because she was supposed to be the breakout star oh, as wow. the best friend. And she was not the breakout star. Didn't happen that it way. It didn't happen that way. And there's more <laughs> stuff going on with that as well. But yeah. this is all still first season. So what happens then? Um, I just so So going back to you then, <laughs> what, I guess, what were you, what were you into... Um, prior to Twin Peaks kind of coming out that sort of led you to watching it or like what TV shows? Gotcha. Or, you know, what were you engaged in that that made you go first that got this on your radar, but then when you saw it went, oh, I'm going to, I want to watch more of this. This is different versus. Right. For me, uh, I was always coming from sort of uh, nerd-based things. Like, I liked uh, Six Million Dollar Man and The Bionic Woman, and I loved Fantasy Island, and I loved... uh, a team, even although that was not really, you know, science fiction, but there was brain power involved. Mm, there yeah. was solving things, um, and you know, growing up in my house, we watched Star Trek every afternoon. I watched, uh, you know, sixty six Batman every, uh, you know. So I was watching a lot of things that that touched on sci fi or touched on the fantastical. Mm-hmm. Um, none of them were obviously particularly deep. But all of them were a little heightened. Right. Um, I, you know, I, I wasn't necessarily into a uh, sitcom sort of situation. And um, I guess had Hill Street, I guess Hill Street Blues had happened by then. But I mean, things were starting to get a little bit darker. And, and I found that fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, and with Twin Peaks, the fact that it it would it would be this central mystery but uh like i said the reason cooper's importance can't be overstated um here was this quintessential leading man handsome and capable and smart and uh able to shoot well and protect himself with his fi- himself with his fists and yet this guy is the biggest nerd mm. about coffee he will or or cherry pie where he'll just be like 
this is amazing. This is my best day that I've had this cup of coffee. Right. His uh, feelings about Tibet and the Dalai Lama and the things that he will use for intuition. These are things that you would be beat up for in the school cafeteria at right. the time. Right. Uh, you know, uh, Steve, the $6 million man, did not go, you know what I really like to think about? The sociopolitical <laughs> facts of China and right. Tibet right now. Yeah. Um, and so, as my friend Joseph Scrimshaw has pointed out, and, and he is an internet presence who also loves Twin Peaks, um, he's like, this is the first time I ever saw a capable nerd as the leading man. Mm. And that is, I hadn't processed that until he said it. But it's absolutely true. Right. This is this is someone who um, hangs himself uh, himself upside down in his anti gravity boots so he can think. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> it's it's quirk, but it's not he man quirk. Right. It's it's not. This is what testosterone does. He doesn't you know punch a bag to to get his thoughts. He has his coffee and he meditates in the morning. Right, and, right, right. And it was, it was an interesting turn on, again, a, stereo, a, a trope that wasn't a stereotype. Yeah. And so that was fascinating. <clears throat> well, it almost sounds like, um, you know, and, and I have to sort of bring it back to things that I am aware of. Of course. Um, and that I'm into. But it's sort of, it sounds like um, in just sort of, thinking about it very quickly the 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 change that happened when like disney sort of introduced uh mickey mouse and especially with like steamboat willie for the mm-hmm. first time because it was he, finally you have you find you have a, an animated character here that now has a personality of his own mm-hmm. versus just sort of a conduit through which all of the jokes kind of flow through which is what everything was before that. Right. And suddenly the audience is paying attention in a new way because now you're actually showing like individualized personality. Mm-hmm. And from what it sounds like you're sort of describing is that it's even, it goes even deeper with that where it's just like, it's it's individual quirks, it's mm-hmm. point of view, it's opinion. It's not just a lot of these other shows, which is like, I have a job to do and I do my job, whether I'm right. an action hero or a lawyer or a sheriff or whatever it is. It's like we get to kind of pull back the curtain and see, oh, these are these are people. Yes. And that's and, and it sounds like every character sort of got their sort of story. Everything folds out and and it was beautifully beautifully layered and the first season was just seven episodes because like i said it came back from the writer's strike and they were like frost and lynch were like seven ups and out uh (laughs) and and then it it, like i said it became a huge hit and everybody was like who killed laura palmer i think it was this and you know you would have every character had a potential reason to have killed her Mm. um and as it as it Turns out, again, uh, she was one thing on the surface. The trope was she was this honor student and this beauty queen, a homecoming queen, as it were, and she uh, volunteered for Meals on Wheels, and she worked a job um, part-time at a perfume counter, etc., etc. And what you find out as everything starts peeling this away is that this is a girl who, yes, it 
was ultimately supernatural, but that's not how it was. That's not how they played it. It, it was, uh, this is a girl who lived in a, a household where she was sexually abused since she was 12 years old. Mm. And so she is also addicted to cocaine. She is sexually promiscuous. She plays mind games with people because she's just lashing out. But at the same time, she is trying to keep it all together. Right. And, uh, you know, there's a, a scene at her funeral. And, and the other thing is, it's so funny. Twin Peaks is hysterically funny. And you feel awful about it but there is a point at the funeral where her distraught father who sings and dances and bursts into tears because he is so broken at the death of his daughter um throws himself onto the coffin and the coffin keeps going up and down and everybody's trying not to laugh (laughs) but they're laughing and the whole big thing but at that funeral her one of her boyfriends her not true love but her boyfriend uh, you know, screams at everyone. He was like, we knew she was in trouble. We knew everything that was going on. Mm. Okay, not everybody knew everything, but they like we knew she needed help and every single one of us turned our back on her. Wow. And he's like, if you want to know who killed Laura Palmer, we all did. Mm. And again, tropes without stereotypes. You know, he is the bad boy. He's the dangerous one. Um, but he is aware and he's vulnerable enough to yell at everyone and no we did nothing which again is pretty some heavy real world shit when people know yeah that oh well he's beating his wife again well has anyone called the cops no right you know and that's it and so uh going back to what you said about each character has everything there's so many layers as to to what's going on and you know some of the acting is interesting and some of it isn't but David Lynch is more about mood and faces and looks. And uh, I mentioned Killer Bob earlier. And literally the only reason that character occurred is that a gentleman on the crew mm-hmm. ended up in a shot over uh, the the grieving mother was having a scene. And he ended up in a mirror that was in the shot. And they looked at the dailies and they were like, oh, David, I'm sorry, Frank was in the shot. And he was like, no, keep it. And literally wrote, which, to be fair, I never even saw him in that mirror until I did the rewatch. And I was like, oh, my God, he was in the scene the whole time. And then I did some research, and that's literally what it was. He was accidentally in the shot. And so he became like the guy. So he became the manifestation of evil that was the supernatural underbelly of causing all of this mayhem and discord and and murder and molestation and darkness and everything in the forests of the Twin Peaks area. So Canada, Twin Peaks, and the other areas, mm-hmm. he became the physical manifestation. And he was just this apparently <laughs> very nice man who <laughs> just... had long, long, wavy, grayish uh, white hair and... And he looked like, you know, stern, like a biker. Yeah. Um, And they were like, no, it's going to be him. And he's terrifying. There is there is a shot that, uh, this is audio, but I will show it to you when it's over. I will make you watch it on YouTube. Great. Uh, that is, to date, the most terrifying shot that I have ever watched on television. And it is him coming into a room and walking towards the camera. And it's 
effing terrifying. And that speaks to David Lynch because he'll hold the camera a little bit longer than you want it to. Right, right, right. And and honest to God, I had I saw that episode at a friend's house and I had to drive home about 30 minutes away that night and I refused to look in the rearview mirror the entire drive home because I was convinced he was going he to be in the rearview mirror and kill me. <laughs> wow. It 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 it's terrifying, it's funny, it's weird and it moves as slow as molasses so it's very hard for people who haven't seen it to go back and watch it Mm -hmm. because you'll have a full minute on a stop site uh, stop sign light sorry changing from red to green it's just gonna david lynch is gonna make you look at that stoplight for a very long time wow but we wouldn't have x-files we wouldn't we we wouldn't have david duchovny his his breakout role was as a uh transvestite uh, who eventually became transgendered uh, FBI agent on Twin Peaks in the second oh, wow. season, um, which again, kind of ahead of its time. There's David Duchovny in full drag, yeah. um, fighting crime, and no one in this tiny little logging town, even like they notice. They know it is a man. Mm-hmm. They know it is a man in a dress. And everybody just kind of goes, meh. That's fine. No, there's there's yeah. no teaching moment per se, except for the fact that in 1990, an openly transgendered yeah. individual is on screen. And, you know, Kyle is uh, Kyle McLaughlin as Cooper is like, um, he's a little different, but I trust him with my life. And everybody's like, okay. Great. Well, I and it's funny because I, I keep coming back to this thought, so I'll just say it. Yeah, do um, it. But... What it kind of sounds like is the the quote unquote weird aspect of it is almost an intentional exaggeration, yes. So that you can put in some of those more uh, honest truths uh-huh. that perhaps you couldn't do if you tried to play it a little more straightforward. Because, right. like the moment with the mother screaming or whatever, it would come across as melodramatic. But if you can sort of I don't want to say distract enough, but if you can surround those moments with enough yes. like weird names or weird, you know, creatures or whatever mm-hmm. it is, you can kind of slip in those things that are become that are that are sort of um, controversial in real life yes. or whatever it is. But by comparison, you're almost ex- you almost are forced to accept it, right? And just move on from it. Because anything can happen there. Yeah. Like I said, the fish in the percolator. It is literally a scene in the pilot episode. Where it's like, let me get you coffee. Pours it out of a percolator. And he's like, don't drink that coffee. There's a fish in the percolator. We don't know why. We right. never know why. It's never been explained. <laughs> right. You're like, I guess he was cutting but fish. It's a great, but it's a, great, um, it's a great counter argument to somebody who has a problem with like that dude's wearing a dress and you go there was a fish, fish in, in the, the percolator, percolator and that's what you have a problem with you know <laughs> oh, i guess not you yeah. know and then it's like great you've just accepted a transgendered character on television Ab- absolutely you know it's it, very subversive it and that's a lot of it and i mean david lynch is insane but um yeah it, i mean, <laughs> i think he'd be the first to say it um but it's there is a core of emotional truth to literally everything you see up there, mm-hmm. from the most uh, acute and nuanced actor to the one who was hired because oh, he's got the right he's got the right face for this. Right. Um, 
everything makes I was going to say everything makes sense, and that is not true of Twin Peaks, <laughs> but everything makes emotional sense as things are revealed. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the other thing is I had never seen anyone willing to paint a mood like that on television. Um, like I said, you'll spend a minute on a, on a stoplight. You'll spend quite a long time on somebody walking into frame and walking towards camera. Uh, you'll... There, there are scenes where uh, one of the suspects is talking about what he did to Laura, and David Lynch just comes right in on his wet mouth and mm. tongue as he's telling the story, and you're so uncomfortable and you're so grossed out for her. Yeah, and and I, you didn't have visual storytelling like that. Right, it was like just set up the normal shot. And he's going to be gross, as right. opposed to no. We're going to kind of slow it down, and we're going to see him lick his it's lips. It's visceral. As, it is incredibly visceral. Yeah. And and you kind of became like a junkie about it, mm-hmm. especially in those first seven episodes, because Mark Frost and David Lynch were still hands on very much for those. But uh, they went on hiatus, and they got a second season order, and ABC was like, "You have to solve this murder." Mm. And they were like, our plan was to never... And they were like, no, you, you're you solving this murder. So they did. And I think it was incredibly satisfying because I, I like linear things. Um, and I don't know how long I could have watched it if they never right. solved it. So in, in some point, I kind of see ABC's point. Did they solve it first season or second season? They solved it the second season. They solved it within three or four episodes oh, okay. of the second season. Um Basically, they had narrowed it down to one, two, three, basically two, uh, two main suspects. Um, Both of the actors who played it weren't sure until the last, until the last script was handed to them which way it was going to go. And again, spoiler alert. So if you plan on watching it, please, (laughs) please don't turn this off immediately right now and go watch it and get back to me. Um, but uh, it, they made it her father. Um, and he had been, he had had the same amount of molestation and abuse heaped on him when he was a boy mm-hmm. by Killer Bob, who is this entity. Mm-hmm. Um, and it had resided in him. So when she turned 12, he was taking it all out on her. And she was going to be a vessel for this spiritual evil entity as well but she was able to fight it off and that's when it killed her Mm. um but this ray wise played the father and one of the most criminal things in the world is because they wrapped it up so quickly he could never be nominated for an emmy for this performance because he was only in those three episodes for the second season oh yeah and the work that he did is amazing where he would just go from histrionic father who doesn't who doesn't know that he was doing this um because it was like a split personality Mm -hmm. uh to the realization that he did to being fully taken over by the the evil entity and his face would change oh wow the work that that actor did was amazing and then once it is solved 
what do you do? Because they they killed his character. Right. Um, his character commits suicide once the absolute realization of what he has done. Yeah. Uh, or been a party to, or a host for, uh, floods over him. He kills himself in the in the jail cell. Wow. And so they solve it, but now they have all these great characters, and they have to figure out a way to keep Cooper in Twin Peaks. Yeah. And. David Lynch and Mark Frost are like, we kind of don't care anymore. (laughs) And so they started bringing in uh, directors and writers of varying degrees of fantastic to, you don't really get this show. Mm -hmm. Um, And they try to force uh, plot lines on characters that really only worked when they were tethered to Laura. And and it, it falls apart. Part. I can imagine that it would fall apart quite quickly. And it does, because it no longer has Mark Frost, who is an amazing... Uh, he's great at keeping David... I'm going to say keep him in line, and I don't mean it quite that way, but he's like, all right, we have the weird shot, but now we need to explain why. Right. Um, so they worked as a, as a unit fantastically for storytelling. Mm-hmm. But you get in people who are trying to be David Lynch to direct it. And so they go, well, let's just have a whole bunch of people paddle balling in the Northwestern Hotel. Why? Because we had Norwegians in the first season? Oh, oh okay. All right, let's do it. Yeah. And that's when it started becoming weird for weird's sake. Yeah. As opposed to this is your distraction. This is your awareness that this town isn't quite right. Right. Now it's just weird. Right. So so do they do they try to do they do they try to inject like another long standing plot into it or do they, they does it become episodic after that? They they did inge- uh, inject another plot and it does it actually in a weird way does work because it is what they took most of this third season on Showtime from and the plot is we're going to find out kind of where this evil entity comes from. Mm. Um, And so they give Cooper an erstwhile partner who is a genius, but insane, (laughs) um, who comes to town and is trying to find what's called the Black Lodge. And the Black Lodge, if you've ever seen uh, the still shots with the red curtains and the zigzag floor and Cooper in the chair, that is technically the Black Lodge. Black Lodge is a place of evil or darkness. White Lodge, place of good. We never really spend time in the White Lodge. It's just referenced. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the so Wyndham Earl, the partner of Dale Cooper, comes to town. He's going to find a way to access this spiritual evil pocket that is the Black Lodge and kind of take its power for himself. He never really explained why he wants to do it. He just does. <laughs> uh, in the meantime, you've also had Major Briggs, who is uh, the father of the one who's like, we all killed her, the kid at the funeral. Right. Um, he's been working with Area 51 and the Air Force because he's an Air Force officer. And uh, he was sent to Twin Peaks because of all the paranormal, perhaps alien activity mm-hmm. that's there. So they really, they go full X-Files, pre-X-Files in right. the second season, which is why I say you would you would not have X-Files without, without this show. Um and basically, it comes down to uh, there were small aliens and tall aliens, the dwarves and the giants, and uh, the Dugpas. And they came to Twin Peaks, and they're kind of inhabit, and they have their earthly avatar, but they live in it, the face you're making is exactly everyone's <laughs> face. Exactly everyone's just, face right a, now. It just sounds like a whole different show. 
It it was, and that's the problem. Is they started. It's kind of like Tim Burton's Batman, where it's like throw in all the villains, throw in everything yeah. right now. <laughs> uh, but that that groundwork of that failed season is what became the springboard where they were like, all right. So we're talking a spiritual energy that's possibly alien. We're talking about other dimensions mm-hmm. that are crossing over, and and this is kind of the nexus. So you even end up with almost like Buffy and the Hellmouth. It, so again, you wouldn't so many shows you wouldn't have without them retconning right. what they did. Um, and so Wyndham Earl comes to town, and he's going to put. They, they put all of the women in Twin Peaks in danger, basically, at the Miss Twin Peaks contest. And you're like, I don't I don't care anymore. <laughs> uh, they bring in Heather Graham, who is uh, staggeringly beautiful, but not good. Uh, her char- I'm going to go with the character. The character's not good. Uh, side note, remember when I said Lara Flynn Boyle was angry because she wasn't the star? Yeah. Uh, Audrey Horn, who was 18, so tacky, but not illegal. Um, and Dale Cooper had a flirtation mm-hmm. uh, going on. Uh, she propositions him. He absolutely turns her down and says, "You don't, you don't need a lover. You need a friend. We're friends. You're too smart for this." Which is also great because you've never seen that kind of friendship before. Right. Where he's not like, "Boy, baby, if I were less of No, he's <laughs> literally like, "This is not what you want or need." Yeah. But their chemistry was off the charts. Sherilyn Fenn and Kyle McLaughlin. But Kyle McLaughlin was actually dating Lara Flynn Boyle at the time. Uh. And rumor, pretty verifiable rumor, but rumor is that she went to the producers and was like, it lessens his character. And it made him do the same, where it's like if there's a flirtation with him and an 18-year-old, that's gross. Right. So they swept Audrey completely out of his sphere. He barely has any scenes with her at all wow. in the in the second season Mm -hmm. and they bring in heather graham as an 18 year old former former nun and she immediately becomes the love of uh dale cooper's life oh perfect which makes no sense and they (laughs) don't have any chemistry and it's just awful yeah um so yeah so uh, that it, it falls apart but all of the all of the things they pulled in of uh alternate universe and parallel and dark and light and sort of feeding in through the the darkness of these mountains and the Native Americans knew about it and this and that really did give them something good to go for, but it completely eliminated the finding out about the characters yeah. anymore. Yeah. And so it it really, it fell apart. I love it more than my life, but it falls apart. So did you, I mean, as somebody who watched it sort of all the time, mm-hmm. when that, first of all, I guess there, sorry. Yeah. Um, there's there's two questions here, so I, and I don't know if you know the answer to the first one. I will do my darndest. How much how much did they know going into it what the outcome was going to be? Uh, their uh, their plan was to never solve the mystery, which would keep Dale Cooper in Twin Peaks, right? Um, but that they would just keep peeling back the onion of these characters and how much this darkness had been around, so that literally by the time it was over. Anyone could have killed Laura, mm-hmm. kind of. Right. Um, so there was no there. There was no end game. There was no end. There game. was no so then when, finale episode. So when ABC kind of forced it on them, they they came up with an answer basically then. Right, and they came. I I think it has been rumored that they always knew who was going to kill 
Laura that mm-hmm. they knew who had done it, but obviously it was never going to be revealed. And the say. actor might never know. Right. Um, and well, and if they had been told solve it and end it, I, I think we would have had like ten amazing hours of television. Yeah. But they were like solve it and do more. Yeah. See, that was my, that yeah. was my secondary question. Was like why reveal it three episodes into the season? Why not? Why not make that the second season yeah. and wrap it up? Yeah, I, I'm. I am sure Mark Frost and David Lynch <laughs> asked that question a multitude of times. Yeah, um, because it goes back to what happened with Lost, another show that we would not have if there had been no Twin Peaks. Um, whereas in the in the middle of that fourth season, fifth season of Lost. Uh, the writers go to ABC and they're like, we have to end this. We can't tread water right. anymore. It's it's getting bad. Um, and ABC is all right. Give us two more seasons, wrap it up and be done with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, if ABC had given that courtesy to Twin Peaks, awesome. As it stood, the what became the series finale of Twin Peaks enraged me so much <laughs> And it's kind of no one's fault because they genuinely thought that was going to be the season finale. Oh. they The ratings were tanking, but they were like, they're probably going to give us a third season. Then we can finish this. Right. So literally everyone, that because like I said, uh, tropes but not stereotypes, they literally put every single individual that you care about in Twin Peaks in jeopardy in this, what was supposed to be the season finale. Right. So you you have cliffhangers everywhere. Fires, bank explosions. Cooper is trapped in the Black Lodge. Uh, it, the uh, Bob has taken over his body as a doppelganger. Bob as Cooper is now out in the real world. world. Cooper is trapped. Uh, people are dropping like flies. And then it ends. And, and then it, it never comes back. And then it never comes back until last year. Right. Um, I got very excited when Fire Walk With Me, which is a, a feature film that David Lynch did two years after Twin Peaks was off the air, mm-hmm. because I was like, oh my God, he's finally going to wrap this up. Everything I've ever wanted. And it's a prequel <laughs> of the last seven days of Laura Palmer's life. Oh. Um, I was so angry. I never watched it, even though I had it in all of my box sets. Oh, I was really? just so mad. I was like, I'm never watching this. How dare you not wrap <laughs> this up for me, you monster. Um, so I only watched it for the first time two years ago. Oh, yeah. And it's fantastic. It is also much reviled when it was released, probably for the same reasons I just mentioned. Yeah. People just wanted it ended. Yeah. Um. But when you have watched the series, all of the series, even the crappy stuff in in season two, this this ties so much together. It almost is like a finale, Mm. but it is a prequel. But you have to watch it. You have to watch it after you've watched the seasons. If you watch it first, it will ruin so much of the storytelling for you. Um, It's got David Bowie in it, for God's sake. Bowie's in it. It's perfect. It, already, it is exponentially cooler than David's, anything you could expect. David's Lynch and Bowie. Yes. Yes, <laughs> exactly. And as, as linear and uh, cohesive a plot line as you might expect from David's Lynch and Bowie <laughs> right. in, in the same uh, plot line. That's great. Um, but it is fantastic. It fleshes out so much more of what Laura knew and what she was doing. Um, and then uh, jump forward to... 
to, you know, this last year where Showtime gave us a whole bunch of uh, episodes. Um, there are nitpicks to have, but it, a, a lot of it was satisfying. Yeah. Yeah. So what happens in between the time that the, the second season ends and the third se- they announce that a new the third season's coming? Uh, obviously, you're you're enraged initially. <laughs> well, I mean, for- or do you do you expect that the third season's coming at that point? It ends and you kind of go, ooh. No, everybody knew it had been canceled before that aired. Oh wow. So, so they made it thinking so, it was coming back right, by the time it but aired. But nobody, was... but nobody really knew that Frost and Lynch didn't know. Right. So everybody's like, ah, "It's the series finale." What do you mean? I'm going to watch this old man in a bank walk around for 15 minutes? Right. Because again, David Lynch is all about mood. Right. And so I was like, they literally only have yeah. three minutes going, to guys, wrap this wrap this up, and then the bank explodes, and Cooper comes into the bathroom, and you realize that he is now inhabited by this evil spirit, and then you're like, the last the last thing he, he does is slams his head into the uh, bathroom mirror, cracking it, and he goes, "How's Annie?" Which is Heather Graham's character, and you're like, and that's it. That's goodbye, That's boom, 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 <laughs> and the theme for Twin Peaks. And you're, it, I wish we had the thing that we have now where you like film people on YouTube watching Doing like the, the Red videos, Wedding or yeah. whatever. I guarantee you everyone who loved, who loved Twin Peaks just yeah. was stock still <laughs> with a little bit of a twitch yeah. in their eye because oh, sure. they were enraged. And I'm sure after sitting through the second half of that season anyway, it was just like, You've already been through so much, and that series finale, as a fan. Uh, or season finale, Lynch comes. That's Lynch's. That's Lynch and Frost again. Oh wow! So it's actually one of the best episodes of of the the series. Yeah, especially after quite a few episodes of Drac, and you're like, oh, this is gonna get good. It's canceled. What? <laughs> oh no! Why would you do that? <laughs> so wow. yeah. So are there um, incredible frustrations? What's What's available in the meantime, as far as like being able to talk about it, or I mean, do you, as a fan, do you find like support groups, or do you have, you know, because I I remember early, early internet being on there, going back to what we talked about at the beginning, finding like right. the Simpsons chat and finding like the right. website, you know, like that. Were, were there things like that for, for, uh, for Twin Peaks fans? There were there were, a lot of you out there? The, sure, but again, not really cohesively. Um, there were there were fan clubs, literal fan clubs, where like you got mailed newsletters oh, wow. um, in, in the 90s. Uh, and... You know, early internet, you would occasionally run across, like, fan fiction, but not fan fiction like you know it today. Like, everybody was just like, I'm going to fix this. I got to figure this out. <laughs> In yeah. my head, I, I had headcanon before I even knew what the term headcanon was when I started watching X-Files, where I was like, yeah, Fox Mulder and uh, Dale Cooper went to the Academy together. And it was a big joke that David Duchovny as Fox Mulder looked like. Dennis Denise Bryson, the trans uh, vestite <laughs> character. It was a big joke all the yeah. time. But then uh, Fox Mulder went into the Black Lodge and got Dale Cooper out, and everybody's fine. Everybody's fine. <laughs> yeah. That was literally my headcanon where I was like, it's the only way I can live with having loved this show as much as I did. That's great. But, um, but uh, it was taught at colleges. Twin Peaks, I, I actually have several essays that were used as a for a college course. Oh, wow. Uh, there, uh, Laura Palmer's Diary was written by Jennifer Lynch, uh, David Lynch's daughter. Um, there there was a, a, a plethora of uh, material on the side. I, I, 
I did not know this until last night, but you will appreciate this. There is a character in the uh, Marvel comic universe named Valerie Cooper. Mm -hmm. Uh, She's mostly with the X-Men. She's a Chris Claremont creation. Mm -hmm. Um, She (laughs) has referred to, without openly saying it, uh, several times in the comics that she is Dale Cooper's sister. Oh, wow. And she's a, yeah, 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 my brother's also in the FBI. He always talks about that girl that was wrapped in plastic and blah, blah, blah. But they've never said it. But right. but Chris Claremont was a big enough fan that he was like, I'm writing a female We're FBI agent. Her name's Cooper, and she's Dale's sister. That's awesome. So uh, that, there were episodes of Psych devoted to it, uh, an, an episode of Psych, uh, the Simpsons episode. Um I only found this out the other the other day that apparently Gravity Falls, which I've never watched, mm-hmm. which I hear brilliant things about, yeah. has tons of Twin Peaks references through it wow. and mentions the Black Lodge several times. And uh, Carlton, I did know this, Carlton Cuse, who created uh, Bates Motel, mm-hmm. which is a much better series than it had a right to be, <laughs> based mostly on its casting. Um he was like he he was fully inspired by Twin Peaks. Oh wow! Uh, when he created Bates Motel, he was like, "We're going to make this town very similar to." Um, and I know J.J. Abrams was inspired by it. Damon Lindelof, uh, I, again, so many filmmakers uh, or or series makers decided this is the way they wanted to tell their stories. Right is we'll do flashbacks or flash sideways or we won't reveal everything or we'll twist something or turn it on its ear mm-hmm. and it won't be standard episodic anymore. Right. Um, but at, to your original question, there there wasn't a lot to glean. There there wasn't much to get from anybody else because so many people just kind of threw up their hands and were like, well, we're done now. Right. They've ended it and everything is awful and we'll <laughs> never see it again because the ratings are so bad. Yeah. But... Boy, once once Amazon and uh, and and you know Blockbuster and various other stores started releasing the DVDs into the Blu-rays, into the gold box set, into the Blu-ray edition that's out now. Boy, all of a sudden people came out of the woodwork, and you realized how many other people had had this experience. Sure. Well, and I'm sure like the, the DVDs, especially for the first time, but even with the tapes, it it, it uh, with a show that just from the sounds of it was so dense in terms of like background and you know like the stuff in the mirror things uh-huh. like that where it's like you could you could pause it for the first time and really take in everything that was something happening something i didn't know for a very long time because again it's it's one of the last great series that anyone watched in real time mm-hmm. as opposed to binging um and i did not realize watching it in real time, uh, every single episode of Twin Peaks takes place in a 24-hour period. So the seven episodes that are series one mm-hmm. are the first seven days that Cooper is in Twin Peaks. Oh, wow. They are, because I was watching them a week apart, so it never occurred to me. Yeah. But the dates are are referenced. So the first seven days are the first seven days. Um, then they come back with series two, and it is only after... Uh, Leland kills himself, there is a two-day break mm-hmm. um, where we don't see what happened in Twin Peaks. And then it comes back on the day of Leland's funeral. Oh, yeah. uh, and then again, every 24 hours is another day. So the so in essence, the, it takes 
it's it's 20 22 days 9 to 10 days for for them to solve the actual yeah. oh wow yeah which so there'd be no 24 without this show there'd be no 24 without this show and i mean it's it's one of those things that i didn't realize it because i had to wait a week right and so i was just like oh well mentally i assumed a couple days had passed right it is literally kind of midnight to midnight every single day that's crazy of twin peaks wow yeah have they ever um have they ever um connected universes like overtly as far as because i know like some of the shows that you've mentioned like you're very into x-files as well (laughs) and i i assume when that came out that kind of gave you something that you could just sort of like get your fix on and be like oh good which i literally recognized Duchovny from i was like oh my god that's the that's the girl (laughs) from yeah yeah, let's see what this is about (laughs) um but but has any as has any other show um outside of like referencing just been like yeah this is the same universe or these are the same not to my I mean, I guess knowledge. besides Marvel that recognizes. Right. <laughs> uh, maybe Gravity Falls might be the only one that has just sort of done it. But there's been no specific. There is, uh, because of the, th- because of Fire Walk With Me, and because of the third season of Twin Peaks, there is, but they might be Easter eggs too. It's, it's tricky in the world we live. Yeah. Um, there are indications that maybe... Uh, there's a tie-in to Lost Highway um, being part of the same universe in in the parallel universe sense. Mm-hmm. Blue Velvet is absolutely removed from it, but there are other Lynchian movies that have similar themes that have come through that that it it might be a Lynch verse, but not necessarily a Twin Peaks verse. Right. If that makes sense. That makes sense. But so um so yeah, so let's talk about the third season real quick. So <laughs> I'm sorry, I just I will so, talk about this for No hours. no no, it's great. I just uh, so so I mean I can only imagine they, they announce it, you find out for the first time and what's your first thought? I uh embarrassingly teared up. I all I absolutely had to stop myself from crying. I was so happy. Wow. Um, Did you ever think it would happen? No. No, God, of course not. Because how are you going to get David Lynch to agree to something that burned him so bad? Right. <laughs> how are you going to get Kyle MacLachlan back on television? Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, yes, he'd done Sex in the City and whatever, but it's like most people don't want to revisit something they did 25 years ago. Sure. Uh, but... But the other thing that's amazing about Twin Peaks is if we'd gotten that third season linearly, you know, in 92, 3, whatever it would have been, um, none of this weird stuff that David Lynch had set up. He had set up, uh, you talked earlier about uh, vision and a dream and, you know, that Lisa has. In the original series, uh, Dale Cooper has a vision where uh, an avatar of Laura Palmer comes to him in a dream in the Red Room and says that gum you like is coming back to, in style. Um, and it is meant to be 25 years later, his vision. Well, if we'd had season three in the 90s, it wouldn't have been 25 years later. Right. They literally waited 25 years, uh, uh, 26 by the time it aired, yeah. I think. And did the third season. Based on, like, the vision? That vision that had already happened, that had been discounted, that had been thrown away, where where Cooper is an old man in old age makeup in this vision, they get Kyle McLaughlin back 25 years later. Wow. It's almost a bizarre and amazing synergy 
it's like the best long con ever. It would be like if Andy <laughs> Kaufman actually was like, surprise, surprise. guys. Um, so for me, that was my, we're going to do sequels to Star Wars. I was more excited about that than Force Awakens. Mm-hmm. Um, because this was literally never going to happen. Right. I was going to have to live with uh, Fox Mulder saving Cooper, and that was how <laughs> I was going to have to live for the rest of my life. Yeah. Um, and so the the third season, like I said, there's a lot of things to nitpick about, but the things that people nitpick about are things that people forget what David Lynch does. We wanted resolution, and that's not what he provides. No. But did we get to see Kyle MacLachlan effortlessly step into a character he hasn't touched for 25 years and be that energy and be that person and be the, it, it like like he it, like putting on an old coat mm-hmm. we absolutely got that we got one happy ending for one of the more soap opera plots uh with with two star-crossed lovers. We found out that two people we had been very invested in did get married, and then it fell apart. Mm. So, I mean, there was tremendous amounts of emotional resonance. There was an almost silent black and white episode that is terrifying, that in a surreal sense explains how the evil got into Twin Peaks. And spoiler alert, it's nuclear testings. Mm. Uh, So it goes back and blames mankind for its own evil right which but it's not you know spelled out so you got to do some legwork um so we got a world that was much more fleshed out and then we ended up with a final mystery of did any of this ever happen which is probably my least favorite part because i'm like oh it happened it better it better have happened (laughs) um but it it had tremendous mood And it allowed David Lynch to show an empty glass box for a little bit too long for screen. And by using a sound cue, make it one of the most terrifying things that's ever been on television. Mm. Because no one will set a mood, good or bad, the way that he can. Right. Um, And he'll do... He did his own sound mixing for all of it. Uh, He set up all his shots. Like I said, Mark Frost is good at reining him in as condescending as that sounds. So we did get some story, but mostly it was just about, God, this world is weird. Yeah. But we got more content. And I know I probably sound like an apologist for it, but I was incredibly happy. That's great. Did, uh, it, did it wrap up some of the It wrapped up some of the finale stuff. stuff it, that- it left, it left uh, quite a few extra mysteries. Um, that we will never know. And it, well, I shouldn't say we'll never know. I haven't read a book that was written by Mark, Fro- Mark Frost uh, that was released after the third season, the Showtime season. Mm. Um, he wrote a book, uh, a dossier about Twin Peaks, which really fleshed out the alien, the parallel universe, the what Major Briggs had done, uh, all of that. Uh, that was literally a history of Twin Peaks, which was fascinating. And now he has released uh, a book that deals with the people in Twin Peaks in in what happened in those 25 years. Oh, wow. Um, But even something as simple as, like I said, everything ended in a cliffhanger, Mm -hmm. and Audrey Horn and Pete and the old man in the bank who was an avatar of the giant, for anyone who watches Twin Peaks, um, (laughs) were all in 
in this bank. And that was the cliffhanger. It blew up. And we're like, of course, Audrey's going to be fine. You know, blah, blah, blah. Well, it came back. uh, I read the, the book about the dossier of Twin Peaks, and it mentions that bank explosion. And you find out that Pete died shielding Audrey from the blast. And I felt like I had lost a friend. Oh, sure. Because for 25 years, I hadn't mourned him. Right. Because I assumed he was going to be fine. Right. And for me to go, oh my God, I watched him die on screen. Yeah. Even though you just saw the bank explosion. I. It amazed me with how effective it was. Yeah. Because I had been so invested. Sure. Yeah. I lost my mind when Showtime brought it. Well, I think it goes back to the back. what we talked about before of just like their ability to create like flesh and blood actual human beings with opinions uh-huh. and and emotions and point of view and you know things that you 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 kind of take for granted in other shows where it's just like I mean n- again not so much now right yeah it's very because of I think that show and obviously not only the success of it at the time but like the fans of the show that have now grown up and started producing their mm-hmm. own stuff and have looked back and said, like, that's what I want it to be, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but, I mean, you think back on some of the shows that you mentioned from from that period in the mid mm-hmm. to late 80s, and it's just like, I don't think you would mourn the death of, like you might, you, you know? You might be very sad if TC crashed his helicopter on Magnum, and <laughs> but you would be sure that Magnum would find the guy... Right. Messed up the helicopter and, you know, like his picture would be on Magnum's desk and we would never talk about TC again. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, it, it would be solved and be taken care of and Tom Selleck would be charming. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then we'd move on. Yeah. And he'd get replaced with somebody who, you, you know, know, exactly. Very similar personality. And occasionally and... they'd go, you're not TC. Like, I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> yeah. You know, but that would be the extent I'm of it. I'm who I am. <laughs> exactly. But no, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it just, it's so, so obviously... There's been a lot of talk about plot and spoilers and, you know. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully anybody, you know, hopefully you weren't planning on watching this tomorrow for the first time um, and you just happened upon this good, episode. Good news. If you do, you will know who the killer was, but you will still go, what the hell am I watching? That was my question. So it's still <laughs> worth going back to. Or if, if you haven't seen it and you know sort of, you sort of know the answer to the question. Mm-hmm. It's still... It's still very affecting. Um, You won't have the same reaction that we all did of, oh my God, they got to solve this thing. But because... You don't deserve that reaction if you haven't seen it by now. Well, yeah. And and I did say, turn it off and go immediately. That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. You know, and I stand by that. It's your fault now. (laughs) Um, but, But because that performance of the character that ultimately is the killer is so erratic and so mesmerizing that most of us went to go and rewatch that performance anyway. Mm. So you're just one watch ahead of us. Right. Um, in the sense that you watch that and go, oh my God, this broken, damaged creature that doesn't know what's living inside of him. And again, even that is uh, trope without stereotype. Here is this... Here, literally, this is someone who is being possessed by an evil spirit that does horrible things to his biological daughter. That is only one side eye removed from what is literally happening to a abusive 
people. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the, the metaphor is we'd like to blame it on an evil entity, but at the end of the day, you did this you did horrible thing. Right. And Laura, who does tremendously manipulative and acting out in horrible and emotionally awful things, ultimately chooses to be killed, then become that. Right. So it does still, even in the heightened evil spirit, alien, parallel worlds, entry to the hellmouth type of things, there is still an element of choice that you don't have to be that. Mm-hmm. And and that again is kind of a fascinating thing to layer in. It's very compelling. That when you're when you're an uh, older adult watching it, a more seasoned adult watching it than I was when it first came on, you go, wow, there is there is a lot of psychology really well folded into this yeah yeah so so do you think um now that there has been time and and obviously other shows have sort of clearly been inspired by it um do you do you think that it still stands up next to some of these shows that perhaps we're able to take a lot of the same concepts or ideas of character and do it better or more refined or is it just like it's just it's not been equaled uh I I absolutely think it, there is there is a reason, and it certainly wasn't always ratings that it is still always in the most anytime TV guide or People or Entertainment Weekly or anyone does a poll and says what were the best TV series. It's it's always in the top twenty, and it's usually in the top ten. Um, it it's slow. It moves like molasses. It was a different time and nobody was, you know, <laughs> cut, cut, cut. Right. Um, and, and I know a lot of people have a hard time watching it now because we are so conditioned to things moving much faster. Mm-hmm. But if you can savor it and if you can put that in your mindset and just go, I'm going to watch one hour a day. Mm-hmm. Or one hour a week, like we did originally. But it, here's the thing. Laura's uh, body was found on February 24th. So if you start the series on February 24th, yeah. you can watch it in real time one day a week. And then you have to take those two days off for Leland's uh, funeral. Right. And then you can literally watch it unless it's a leap year and then it screws up. But huh. uh, you can literally watch it from the day they find her body. And it. I did it last year. It's fascinating. Wow. Um, and February 24th, also my birthday. So Is it? Yeah, well, so do me a favor. Um, and Oh, my God. You're, you're Laura Palmer's <laughs> <a> revisited <laughs> body. Wow. <laughs> I would have been, what was it? 1990, you said? 1990 is when it aired. So I would have been eight years old on the day that she died. I am really glad you didn't watch it when you were eight <laughs> years old. That would have jacked you up, I my friend. I think that's why I missed it. I think <laughs> it's, it's, I, didn't, I didn't start getting into... like parents did you a solid by not making you watch yeah. Twin Peaks. Thanks, Mom. <laughs> I don't know that they would have anyway. I remember Good. watching, I think X-Files was like one of, I think the first time that, you know, was that weird. I don't know. Twin Peaks to me is one of those shows that just like is so typically 90s you know it's just like it's one of those seminal shows from the 90s where you just look back and you go twin peaks Mm x-files you know uh seinfeld ally mcbeal like there's just a handful of them where you just go yeah it's of its time well and the other thing too is you know you compare twin peaks and and x-files um chris carter has always said that it was the advent of the cell phone that made x-files work because he could keep scully and Mulder separated but connected but they couldn't save each other necessarily but they could relay information yeah twin peaks i mean it, it just talks about how quickly technology has built 
you know, Cooper is still talking into a handheld recording, mm-hmm. uh, a, a mini tape recorder. There aren't cell phones per se. You'll have the big car phone, right. but not quite Miami Vice. They're still using CBs to get in touch with each other. So there's all kinds of peril that people can be put in because they can't reach out on a cell phone. Right. They're isolated. And, and, and so it is very much of its time because you have a hard time telling the same story, not even six years later. Right. You know, um, it was it was something people were wondering how they were going to tell the story in the third season because it's like, how's Cooper going to use a smartphone? Turns out he never had to because he'd been held mm. uh, for twenty five years, so we never had to deal with man. I hate new technology. <laughs> you know, we didn't have to deal with that, but yeah. it is quintessentially nineties because you couldn't tell the same story not even four years later. No, because. People are already starting to use cell phones at that right. point. Wow, that's fascinating. So, um, so real quick then to wrap it up, um, <laughs> w- watch the show on my birthday. Do me a solid. Yeah, um, that'll do be it. a great present for me. Um, and, and I you, might do the same thing. It, it it's do it. See I what happens. Know. So, um, how has it? Um, how would you say it sort of affected you or changed you or stuck with you in a way that it? You know, did it did it lead you down a certain path? Did it make you want to? get into what you're doing now or 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 just other avenues of pop culture um it it absolutely it had fascinating women Mm. um now will it pass the Bechdel test not necessarily but the women in that show good or bad and and certainly there is the argument to be made that there's a, a lot of misogyny in it um but these were fascinating women. I wanted to be Audrey Horn because she was so powerful and had such um, such guts that I, I didn't have a backbone. And there weren't a lot of younger women with that same kind of vibe mm-hmm. uh, on air. Um, I It certainly enforced that I wanted to be an actor which I had just started doing at the time. Um, and it also really showed me that there were there were ways to play scenes that weren't traditional. Okay. Um, you know, that it was it was jarring that certain choices could be jarring but ultimately appropriate. Mm. And that of course comes purely from Lynch's direction. Right. Um and it you know, at the time, uh, and for a long time after, science fiction, which I will sort of put Twin Peaks in, uh, along with a multitude of other categories, um, was looked down on. It wasn't where the good actors were. The good actors were doing film. Right. And Twin Peaks was probably one of the first series that made me go, oh, man, I think television is where anyone would want to work. Mm-hmm. And and ultimately, I still stand by that even today. Like, yeah, we'd all love to do film and get crazy Marvel Cinematic Universe money, but um, but some of the best stories are told in a continuation of a character's arc on, oh, on television. Yeah, and and again because it wasn't it wasn't uh, who's Magnum going to save this week? No slam to Magnum. I love Tom Selleck. <laughs> uh, I keep I keep bashing on Magnum, yeah. and I don't mean it. Take that, Magnum P.I. <laughs> exactly. The reboot. I'm not sure about. <laughs> um, no mustache. No Magnum. Um, but 
but to be able to just see these journeys and see people at their absolute worst mm-hmm. um, and their absolute best, sometimes in the same episode, it was like, oh, wow, these guys are running uh, running a marathon every episode. Right. And, and uh, uh, supporting characters, that's where I want to go with this. Uh, supporting characters are just as fascinating. Mm-hmm. And Twin Peaks ha- was lousy with talented supporting characters that are iconic. Yeah. Um, uh, Albert Rosenfeld um, is is one of the best side characters that has ever been created. And uh, Jose Farrar. And um, it's... Wait. No, his son. Okay. Uh, Farrar. I'm trying to... Mel Farrar. That's, oh, God. I'm getting the son <laughs> and the... and But anyway, Albert Rosenfeld. Um it, these characters that would just come in and be as meaty and as weighty as anything else and then disappear for episodes. Yeah. Um, all of a sudden it was like, oh, I don't have to be a leading lady. I don't have to be this beautiful. I can be this or I can be that. It was incredibly affirming because David Lynch goes for a vibe even when he casts his actors. Yeah. He doesn't have people, well, for Twin Peaks, he didn't have them read. He had them come in, he would talk to them, and he'd go, I think you'd be good as Shelley the Waitress, and they'd be cast. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Wow. I mean, you can certainly get your, your hand bit doing that, but yeah. uh, it's worked <laughs> for him so far. That's great. Um, so uh, is there anything that I, or that we didn't talk about, or that I didn't ask about, that you uh, want to make sure like a, a, a fact or just a thought or a, or, a, or a passing thing where it was just like, we didn't get to talk about this, but I want to make um, sure that this is said. I, I think the only thing I wanted to make people aware of was the, the, the one episode is one day mm-hmm. and the days are always connected. Um, because going back and watching it, knowing that is fascinating because all of a sudden you become aware of the timeline. Right. Um, other than that, it's just, I, 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 I understand when you start watching it, you can think this is foolish or you can think, is this camp? Is this bad camp? I don't understand, but it's, it is subversive. It will, it will crawl into your brain. And if you can just go, I'm going to watch this and I'm going to, uh, not try to multitask. I'm not going to be on my computer because you really have it. It's, it's as much of your senses as any television can give you. Yeah. Get yourself a cup of coffee, get yourself a cherry pie, and eat along with <laughs> yeah. Cooper as he does it. But it is... It you got to do whatever you were able to do in 1990 and nothing more. And nothing more. Yeah. You have to let it just kind of roil over you. Yeah. Um, it is sensual in a very non-traditional use of that word. Mm-hmm. It will creep into your brain. It will make you uncomfortable. Um, and that's what's so delicious about it is just give it, give it the 45 to 50 minutes without commercials, go, what the hell did I watch? And then do go back for more. Yeah. Um, and know that it's slow, but, but treat it like the nineties. Remember its era. Yeah. And, and it'll do you all right. Except in the second season where you'll go, what the fuck? (laughs) But then you can, but then you can watch fire walk with me and it all, it'll, yeah. You got to have the whole experience. Got to take the good with the bad. Great. So, put on some coffee. Yeah, get a slice pie. of pie. Put on your parachute pants. <laughs> sure. Turn off your boys sure. to men compact disc. Right. Absolutely. Put the computer away. Yeah, one hundred percent. And uh, uh, put on some good Northwestern flannel. 
Yeah. Um, and uh, and enjoy some very very moody, possibly jazz, but mostly just weird uh, uh, instrumental music. There's and that word uh, again. yeah, it like I said, it's fair and unfair all at the same time. <laughs> but it is the best adjective you're going to use for it. I love it. Well, thank you so much for coming in and talking to me about this. It sounds um, like I said I have to. I'm going to wait until February, I think. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, That'll be that'll be my birthday present to myself. I'm gonna I'm gonna watch a girl die. Uh, well, you will eventually. Yeah, you will eventually, <laughs> and more than one. Can't wait. There's there's gonna be bodies dropping all over the place. All right. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you, Megan. <laughs> thank you for right. listening. Of course. Bye. Bye. What am I missing? Is edited, produced, and hosted by me, Brett Walden, with original music by Anthony Smith. Special thanks to Megan Maroney, if for nothing else, teaching me what headcanon is. If you would like to know more about me or listen to past episodes, you can find it all on my website, www.brettwalden.com W-A-I-M. If you have any questions, comments, or curses about anything you heard today, we have a community for that. Go to facebook.com slash whatamimissingpod and let your voice be heard. Please make sure to rate us on whatever app you choose to listen to podcasts on, and why don't you go ahead and tell your friend about the show as well. Now, here's a preview of next week's episode. It's a weird world, yeah. and this music means so much to so many people. Yeah, I mean, they have a, a very loyal, ravenous fan base to this day. Mm-hmm. That's huge. It's a big cult. Right. There's a huge cult following of this band who love everything they do, but also hate everything they do at the same time. Right. Um, it's an infuriating process being a Weezer fan. Thanks for listening.